everybody and welcome back <laughs> to Commune Crafting. My name is Alec. I will be your dungeon master. I'm joined again with my co-host for this, however fucking long this ends up being. Uh, Marcus, how you doing this morning? Hey everybody, good to be back. <laughs> this is attempt three uh, at this episode. <laughs> we kind of realized, it, the, first, the first time kind of switching and coming back and replanning the structure of how these episodes would go made sense. So um, that's a nice little update for you guys. We are going to split up the, what did we say? We're going to do two stat blocks for characters per episode. Yeah, so there'll be, the, the goal is three episodes of building stat blocks since we've got six-ish main people to build stat blocks that for. we have to build stat blocks for yeah um yeah. so those will be coming out after this episode um that'll be the next commune crafting uh but but this one i just figured we could do a fun little chat about some some past campaigns some characters i think it'd be really fun to like ask each other questions about uh campaigns that we've been in together just kind of explore that that realm of fucking D, my guy Let's do it. Okay, well, we'll preface this before we start asking questions. I played as a as a player in Marcus's uh, London Fate campaign. It was set in what 1890s London. Yes. Kind of Sherlock Holmes, kind of Brothers Grimm type feel. Uh, was a lot of fun. It was very gay and it was very feral. <laughs> Accurate. And then uh, Marcus, if you want to tell them sure. what you've been in of mine. Yeah, um, when Alec is the DM, I was in his long-running campaign in um, Aosha is the continent. Or is, the the, is the world name, yep, and the then world, yes. Tolesh was the continent. Yes, so we, we called it the Tolesh campaign, since that's where all of our characters were from. Yeah. Um, I played uh, everyone's favorite uh, New England bad, Lester Lawson. He, well, he started as a bard, he became a paladin. He became a paladin almost immediately like, yeah because as we discovered sword bards are terrible not great not great you would have had a better time as valor bard but uh, you you jumped into paladin very quick yeah the i'm glad the the narrative kind of allowed me to get away with that because yeah lester was hardly a bard even no <laughs> no and then well, and then that unearthed arcana came out with the the heroisms and you're just yeah. like this is it mm-hmm for those who don't know, the heroism path for the paladin is functionally, I don't need a god. I'm this awesome. I have my own power. They they uh they finally published it in the uh mythic Odyssey, uh, mythic Odyssey, the mythic Odysseys of Theros book. Oh, cool. Um, I think they changed the name of it. Let me see. Mythic, my, my fucking mythic Odysseys of Theros. Jesus fuck. Some TH sounds coming to get you. Ta, 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 ta. <laughs> or in the uh, Mythic Odysseys of Theros, it's called the Oath of Glory. That's valid. That makes sense. So that that you know, it still it still reads pretty pretty similar to what you use. Yeah, yeah. He was a absolute blast. <laughs> Love Lesser. Love Lesser. Oh man. So to the questions in London, the way that I I because we've talked about you dungeon mastering and being a dm pretty frequently since we we began this uh this beautiful friendship mm -hmm. um and and london was the first time i got to be a player at a, at a table you ran uh it seems that you are very you're very open to change oh yeah and very I... open to shit like going awry and then oh and, my god uh, yeah patchworking something I mean, new. one of my favorite 
moments of you guys was um, one of her characters had a backstory that she had escaped from an asylum and the party eventually went back to that asylum to get information on a case they were working on. And the party decided to murder the leader of this asylum. We sure did. <laughs> with, the, uh, with the belief that he was an evil scumbag, which I have to this day not confirmed or denied what he was to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you were always very ambiguous about Seward. Yep, Dr. Seward was, uh, was definitely doing some questionable things. But I think you guys had this vision in your head that he was this like mad scientist lunatic, but well, no, he wasn't. <laughs> and what I think that that's all on on the backstory we're given, and like what oh, yeah. Silas tells us, and like how we, because I mean the interactions with Seward did not bode well for him, because uh, yeah, he was he was very like <laughs> I don't know he was very like authoritative in a bad way. And yeah. uh, he was very domineering, which I, I mean, I my character d didn't like that from the jump because he's <laughs> like, wait a minute. No, I'm big, strong man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, Seward, Seward like, like, I mean, like you just said, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a fly by the seat of my pants kind of DM. I, yeah. On average, I will put in almost no, almost never put in more than an hour of prep time before a session. That's nuts. Um, primarily because I know I've, I've been doing this long enough that I can guarantee that my players will do some crazy shit that I could have never planned for. So why bother? <laughs> sure. I'm also, I also prefer to just really, I have like plot points and potentials written down. Yeah. Uh, but that's about as far as it goes. And sometimes with, with NPCs, that means I don't even know their true intentions until you guys solidify them in my head with some action. Um, well, that that's a really cool way to do it, I think, too. And I think you're, you're, you do it seamlessly. Like, I don't think there's, there's any moment that I can think of in the campaign where I was like, oh, Marcus totally just made that up. Oh, sure. Or like, like there was <laughs> nothing that, that kind of read like that. It all seemed intentional. And and yeah. I think when it comes to improv as a dungeon master, like that's the goal. Oh yeah, I mean, you guys forced me to do so much more improv in that campaign than I've ever done before, primarily <laughs> because uh, as part of the early portion of the campaign, it was introduced that several of our characters were opium addicts, mm -hmm. um, and so periodically the party would go to an opium den and just chill out. Now those who know what opium does, it just turns you into a vegetable but that's boring. So I refused to do that and just be like, it's a time skip. So I treated those trips to the opium dens as little hallucination journeys that I never planned for. Which is wild for me because like the, the way that you were able to like tie stuff into things that have happened like in that session or sessions before that like, <laughs> it's fucking wild. But yeah, I, and you had mentioned that because after we did our last session, uh, we had hung out on, on the, the Zoom call and, and, like, talked about some stuff. Oh, yeah, it revealed some things to you guys. <laughs> yeah, and, and you had said that, like, anything that was said to us, like, in those moments was our subconscious or something akin to that. In the early stages, yes. Uh, basically, it was, it was all – I always tried to reflect – whatever your character was concerned about. That's why you, uh, your big old boy, August Clark, 
August Clark is is the himbo that I didn't know I needed. <laughs> he was uh, he was just a bare knuckle boxer who got dragged into some crazy shit, <laughs> and because of August's fixation on the local creepy priest, uh, that's who he pretty much always saw when he got high. Yeah. <laughs> I think the only time that ever broke was when you finally started to focus on your family and that you was, saw your father-in-law. That was sad. That that <laughs> I think that one I think that was the moment that August's trajectory in the campaign changed cuz I don't mm-hmm. think that August was and for context August Clark was a uh, 25 26-year-old uh bare-knuckle boxer prize fighter. He was in high society at, at, for most of his life but Due to an instance of uh, of his rage issues uh, boiling to the surface, he he broke his two soon to be father in law's jaw, and was quickly exiled from from any highfalutin you know societal things, and just kind of lived on the streets and kind of used his funds to uh, uh, to support a, a fighting career. And he used his rage the only way he kind of thought he could was going to the raggedy bee a very uh, East End, you know, shady bar and just punching people at night. <laughs> um, but back to the to the point, like, I don't think, I don't think August was ever a selfish, inherently selfish person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that he had tendencies that after that, that vision with Quincy and, and seeing Sophie, he was like, I am doing everything for the wrong reasons. <laughs> like I I have let this rage inside of me swell and build and become this cancer that has like you know led me to almost take my own life and and, and all this you know so I think that there's like that that was the opium dream where August was like holy shit I fucked <laughs> up mm-hmm. but yeah, that was a God, that campaign was a wild character study for I think almost everyone at the table. <laughs> it was really, and I think that that's my favorite thing about London was like there were really like incredible and integral role play moments. Mm-hmm. August would be talking to Silas, or or August would be talking to Gabriel or Gustavo, and like they're like I feel like the relationship with Gabriel. August saw Gabriel as the person he wanted to become. Like somebody that was more refined and somebody that like used the power they had for people. Because mm. August, while not being inherently selfish, he punched people because he wanted to feel better. Mm. You know, like he wasn't, <laughs> you know, but yeah, just, just the inner character dynamic and then the inner party play was so fucking fun. Mm-hmm. That was a blast. Yeah, that was, I mean, it's so funny to me looking back to what spawned mm-hmm. London was literally just the, I just had an idea one day that I basically, we talked about the detective mystery stuff and then we were going to set it in London. And my brain immediately went to, I'm going to throw literary and historical figures at my players and see how long it takes them to notice. Yeah. I think the, the big, (laughs) the big one for me was Dorian Gray. Like, cause it also was like, holy shit. That's still yeah, my the, favorite the... moment at the table. Like Jack Watching and I, you and Jack, <laughs> Jack and I were like, "Holy fuck!" And Tanya's next to me, just like, "What?" I grab her face and I'm like, "Dorian Gray," and she's just like <laughs> looking at me like I'm fucking insane. <laughs> uh, oh 
man, that was a blast. Because yeah, the first thing I threw at my players that uh, that campaign, the first the first uh, case that they had to solve for those history buffs out there were um, the Bill Bros. Yeah, the, the we as we dubbed them the Bill Bros. But they were a famous uh, duo in duo of criminals in the early uh, late eighteen hundreds because the 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 science of surgery was start and anatomy specifically was starting to grow and doctors didn't have enough cadavers so these two dudes started as grave robbers to basically they were giving these corpses to doctors to work on and then they were like business is booming we need more bodies and they start killing people that's nuts uh yeah and there were so many things like in that first investigation if you will that like mm-hmm. stem to to up to the last session and it's 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 yeah. just wild the very first npc you guys went to interrogate was alzant yeah that's true <laughs> who was literally supposed to be a one-off creepy priest that you guys interrogated but y'all liked him so i kept bringing him back <laughs> we liked him more so than we were just like what the fuck because you don't <laughs> you don't give an npc that voice <laughs> that's valid unless you expect to use that voice again yeah, it's true. Oh, um, man. But no, I think August was, or Alzand was uh, a very fun foil for, for August for a while. Oh, yeah. God, I loved playing Alzand. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, flip the, let's flip the tables to, to Ayosha, to Tolesh, to that campaign. Sure. Which, which, uh... I have always been curious. When we started in all these small villages, obviously you already had plans for some of the dragony stuff since the uh, yeah one of our players had a plan to be an evil dragon cultist out the gate <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. that never really panned out. But did you have uh, was the plan from word one to fight and kill Tiamat in the end? That was yeah, that was always going to be at least at some point. Um, mm-hmm the 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 biggest thing that you guys had to go up against that was always where i imagined the campaign ending um yeah and and whether like you guys had had infiltrated and stopped the cult and managed to stop her her ascension mm-hmm. if it went that way great then then um that would have been it i would have yeah, uh built that up to be to be the end point, but um, yeah. you guys yeah, are just like, oh, that cult, dragon cult, that cult's happening. Whatever, we got other shit to do. <laughs> so yeah, it's, but it's yeah, TMA was always the end goal. We we kind of, uh, I guess it was kind of my fault, but like the Solar Guard was always more of a problem for us. <laughs> well, that's that's because they had wronged you, mm-hmm. <laughs> In, like like dire- <laughs> directly. So it's just like, oh, mm. we have to fucking end them, correct? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. T- yeah. <laughs> oh my god. So. With that in mind, you're, you're obviously a much more heavy planner DM than I am. Sure. Were there ever like arcs that were very suddenly added or subtracted that we did or didn't do? The stuff with Garak and his son was it was a very quick add-on, um, but I think it really added to his character, especially oh, yeah. in those last couple sessions there. Yeah, um, giving him something to fight for was definitely smart. Yeah, because because Garak. Uh, if you've listened to the podcast past, you you are probably familiar with Garak Stonefist, but he played by, and, and Kyle's a hell of a player. For how new he is, he's a hell Very of a impressive. player. 
Um, but he played a a Goliath Pugilist by the name of Garak Stonefist, and he was very, very Hulk mentality with like I'm the strongest there is. So his goal was just to like you know fight and 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 grapple and pin whoever the fuck he could. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when you guys got on on the uh, the Bastien, the the ship with the uh, the Viper's Hand Pirates, and kind of he cultivated that relationship with the, uh, the tiefling artillerist, Yoridani. I saw an opportunity there because it was after that you guys got trapped in the Underdark. Yeah. It was very shortly after that encounter that we got mind fucked by loath for a year. Yeah. And, and, and that, and that was also like a, a super, cause I had looked up some, some homebrew um, madness tables. Cause I figure madness when you're approaching a God should be, leagues above like what what the initial madness table is oh yeah so i saw like added elements and and i wanted to incorporate it and and uh when you guys like saw because loth was the first you know whether she's a demigod or a a deity or a full-fledged deity she was the first being of divinity that you'd seen in person yeah so when that happened it was like okay let's see let's see how long you guys are kind of incapacitated and it was what was it like a year I think it was about a year, yeah, because we when we popped out of the ground, Irvin was the first who saw us, and he's just like, where have you been? Yeah, and I think, like, in that moment, like, I knew that there was a lot I could play with. Oh, yeah, the, the various time skips, because we went through, like, three or four, I think, over I the think, course of the campaign. I think there were there were two big time skips. It was the yeah. it was the the Underdark when you experienced Lulth, and then when you guys went to Avernus. That's right. And, uh, you know, time time is different. Um, yeah i think that was a six month one or so yeah but um but yeah uh garak and his son um i don't know lester was pretty straightforward i think that there were i think the thing that that got me the most was was his developing feelings for nadal because i I think that there were there were definitely moments where i was like wait a minute is lester (laughs) maybe i'm not sure i can't tell yet Mm -hmm. and then and then it (laughs) happened and i was like oh shit Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went to play into that a little more. Uh, there, there are things that I didn't, that didn't end up happening with Gunther. Really? Yeah. So I had put threads throughout, uh, a couple times toward the end of ca- the campaign where, um, the idea of achieving divinity, cause. Oh, that's right. That yeah. was one of his grand goals. Cause Gunther's goal was, was to become a God. Mm-hmm where it, it, the initial one was this conversation with the Raven Queen super early on. Oh, yeah, had, I forgot about had, that. Yeah, when he had died. And and she said, not all not all beings are born with divinity. Some search it out. Mm-hmm. And he saw a vision of a stone. And that was something he could have pursued. Hmm. But Surprised he didn't. He didn't. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Me fucking too. Was, was one of the end game options like early on that he would take over the weave that was an option <laughs> i'm surprised he didn't jump on if, that well and and that fell upon like you guys not getting super into the cult stuff that's true because if you guys would have gotten into the cult stuff you guys would have eventually discovered the plan to uh the plan to fuse tiamat and mistra sure um and depending on when you guys figured out you would have been able to stop the ritual entirely or one of mm-hmm. you would have had to been fused with Mistra. Okay, that makes sense. 
so yeah just like trying to think back to the trajectory of the campaign like the stuff we did early on before the dragons got involved <laughs> yeah the, well and you guys did a lot before the dragons were involved there was a lot of story before the dragons like we were dealing with the the drow rebellion for the most yeah. part for a long time i was gonna say it was pretty much uh the drow um resurgence and then uh little stuff past that but yeah mm-hmm. you guys were pre- you guys pretty much went from big plot point to big plot point yeah it was- <laughs> which i mean it was nice for me but yeah i mean it keeps the thing keeps everything moving yeah, but yeah, so there were there were some exciting things that um that will probably come up in this next because we're playing in the same world for this next campaign. Mm-hmm. Um that, that will probably come up. So that'll be fun. You've DM fifth edition, you've DM fate. Mm-hmm. You you we talked before and I, you, you said you prefer fifth edition, correct? I think a little bit more. Okay. Primarily because one of the things we discovered somewhat quickly with fate is fate is an incredible way to do role play but its combat system is kind of boring on its on its surface like yeah it's it's very just i punch you you punch me um and you have to get really creative to make that interesting right um and we i think i think we had a good balance of combat it was obviously significantly less than 5e but i think london stayed active enough but yeah, that's it's fifth edition just allow is is a lot more fleshed out just because it is it's its own roleplay system as opposed to a skeleton structure. Right, where you add shit on there. I think if I really, really knew fate inside and out, like I read the damn book, um <laughs> <laughs> I uh I might actually say fate just because I love the boundless opportunities because one of the things I that I don't care for with fifth edition, and I mean this is why we homebrew everything because the forgotten realms are kind of overdone like they're it's a cool world but there's so many more stories to tell and i think bounding binding yourself to the forgotten realms is limiting yeah so something like fate that allows you to do literally anything is uh is very cool to me i mean we started out as a silly little detective mystery that turned into the christian apocalypse right and i don't know how you do that story in 5e <laughs> i i couldn't tell you um but yeah i think I, I agree with you there in that instance for sure because i think there was there was this inherent feeling of freedom with fate like i felt like with august i could do whatever i wanted mm-hmm. because the game was so open yeah I'm in agreement. I think for the most part. I think when it comes to to fifth edition, um, I'm happy to play it all of the time. I just yeah. need. <laughs> it's a great system. <laughs> I just can't. I just can't play in like established worlds. Like I have to build it into my own because then I just yeah. feel like confined. Right. I mean, because if you're playing in the Forgotten Realms, unless you've unless honestly, unless you've really done your research, be that reading a lot of the novels or. If you're someone who really does just like uh, doing research on fantasy realms, dope. Mm-hmm. That probably gives you lots of options. But for those of us who have a cursory knowledge of the Forgotten Realms just by being in it enough, yeah, it kind of feels like the Sword Coast is kind of all the in- where all the interesting stuff happens. Like the Sunset Mountains are real big, but what do you do there besides do a- another another giant story or like? 
head over to the marshes of Chalimber and get messed with by crazy cultists. Like the the settings and locations are kind of binding. Right, right. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I I think uh, especially as you grow as a DM, it, it becomes so much more tempting to just tell your own dang story <laughs> yeah it, it, it's definitely that idea of, of uh creative limitation that i am not um because because even in this community like i've posted things on reddit and i'm like oh i'm changing stuff to be like this and it's like well you can't just keep changing the canon like that and i'm like well i can it's, it's it's goddamn dungeons and dragons but yeah i think that there's just this idea of like i want to I want this to work for me and my players. And the best way I can do that is, is to make it my own and to like right. build it for me. Variety, man. Spice of life. So when it comes to London, is there are there things that you wish came to fruition? Oh my God. I had so many ideas. Um, I, we, uh, <laughs> I think as I've, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but London had about four or five different potential endings. Um, yeah, 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 I don't think you have mentioned that on the podcast. Yeah, I kept, because uh, we kept approaching a moment that I was like, oh, this seems like a good spot to close it out. And then one of my players would do something interesting, and I'm like, this has to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Because the initial plan was, um, after their second case with Dorian Gray, I introduced this organization called the Silver Phantoms which was a team of literary bad guys um, that were just kind of causing chaos, Joker style all over London. Um, and that was gonna be the final boss. But then you guys started fixating on Alistair, uh, or no, Alistair, my God, uh, Alzand so much yeah, more. Yeah. And so I made him kind of into the villain as he kicked off like a fake apocalypse. Um, sure. because. Up until that point, the world had been entirely grounded in reality. No magic, nothing. But then you guys started to ponder, and you guys got it in your heads that it was definitively the real apocalypse. So I was like, you know what? Let's do the real thing. <laughs> yeah, right. So I started throwing the horsemen at you, and then they were going to be the final, like, death was going to be the final boss, and death was going to be all Really? That was one of my original final bosses. Shit. But then you guys started going through them. You did uh, Conquest, War, Famine. And yeah. But then I, I got it in my head. I'm like, you know what? At this point, there's no other way to close this thing out. So God had to show up. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Joshua was like the biggest dick. <laughs> I I loved playing him because... As a DM, I alter my voice a lot when I'm yeah. playing NPCs. Joshua was the only one I've ever used my real voice for. And I loved watching the effect it had on my players because it really threw you guys off. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it was... So, the way I uh, did him was just... I just spoke in a very gentle and a bit condescending of a tone yeah hi everyone my name's joshua but most of you call me god fuck you joshua <laughs> oh he was a blast 
Um, but yeah, no, I had a ton of ideas. I had like a, I had a ton of other literary figures. I mean, the original plan was for the, each of the phantoms to be their own case. Um, sure. So Long John Silver was going to be doing some pirate shit in the bay. Um, I was going to have, uh, I named him Pens, but uh, it was the Invisible Man. He was going to be causing problems all over London. Uh, we had a duo of murderers that were my Jekyll and Hyde stand-in. Yeah. Dad. Yeah, it's cool, because for London, it felt like we always were a step behind. And it felt that we were always, like, pushing to get ahead. Yes. Yeah, the, the Phantoms were always kind of a little bit ahead of you guys. Um, this is... It built up tension really nicely, I think. Yeah, I, I had so much fun adapting characters from literature into this world and seeing, uh, again, seeing how long it took you guys to figure out, like, what their shtick was. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> it was really funny. and Because I think there, there are definitely moments on both ends where it was just like, holy crap, I know it. And it's just like, what the fuck, why is everybody excited? Oh yeah. Oh my God. Some of our players are much more uh, classic, a lot more classic literature in their background. So some of them recognize this stuff and some of them uh, have no idea what the hell I'm talking about, which yeah. makes me seem like a great writer. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. It's really funny. Yeah. Oh man. London was wild. Such a fucking fun session. But yeah. I even had plans for, we were so close to the end and um I mean, I could run an entire campaign off of the the Indigo or the uh, the Spectrum Institute. Yeah, Spectrum Institute was really cool. Yeah, late in the game, we introduced uh, an organization of supernatural containment uh, agents, basically. Yeah, dudes who would go around and take out supernatural problems before they became a problem for everyone else. Um, and I mean, my in, my. My storytelling is so influenced by whatever I'm reading or listening to at a given time, um, which is why for for those eagle eye or eagle eared listeners out there, uh, you probably noticed a bunch of names we listed off when we were talking about London earlier. We're just characters from Dracula, because um, <laughs> I was reading Dracula at the time, um, and then with uh, the Spectrum Institute. I was introduced to the SCP Foundation and that whole uh, yeah. extended chunk of internet. Very so I'm fun. like, too cool an idea to, to not do something with. Right, right. <laughs> Man, that's wild. Yeah, there's so, there so much in London that it felt like we could have uncovered many more rocks and many oh, more yeah. uh, things and built off. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. I mean, the for a, for a bit there, you guys had a pretty antagonistic relationship with the church. So yeah. that could have ended up being its own villain eventually if, if you'd push that thread far enough. That's kind of what I was expecting. But I think at that point, we were already in like the big throes of like the, the apocalypse. So right, I didn't my, think that it was really going to come to fruition in any any way that was kind of impactful to uh, to the campaign as a whole. Yeah, if you guys hadn't kind of gone down the apocalypse route... Um, Archbishop Maxwell, I had plans to be a pretty big villain, and he was going to march up to London with, he was going to kind of do the same thing he did. He was going to march up to London with the Templar army, but it was just fortuitous that uh, somebody else was already attacking London. <laughs> so 
they got to have a little war just outside the city while you guys were trying to deal with all the craziness inside the city. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. <laughs> oh, love it. God. Um, Go for it. Yeah, I was going to toss a question back at you. Oh, shit. Um, oh, boy. So, so you obviously have the intention to keep telling stories on Aosha. As a DM, you you obviously like building your own world. Um, do you ever see yourself bouncing out of Aosha, or you, you kind of intend to do that forever? I don't know. I think um, I think it, there are a lot of stories to tell. Um, there is a lot that is yet to be discovered and explored in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two or three continents that you guys haven't even touched yet. Oh, right. There are <laughs> elements that have yet to be discovered. Um, so I think that there's a well of stories that could be, that can be told to a certain capacity. Do I want to do it forever? Probably not. I mean, I, I'd love mm-hmm. to, whether it's um, jumping into different modules or things of that sort that kind of catch my interest. I'd love to do a wild mount campaign in the, the world of critical role. Cause I think mm. Matt Mercer has made like a really, a really cool world. Um, and has left it very open for us as dungeon masters and players to kind of, to make it our own, uh, sure. which I think is a, a, my, a, a lot of my issues with, uh, with different settings. I'd love mm. to do stuff in Eberron. But yeah, I mean, I think I think for now, like the the main, if I'm running fifth edition, I, I want to keep exploring that world for for a good while. Because mm-hmm. yeah, there you guys haven't even touched uh, Ibari yet. Um, you stopped at at Josie or two for like maybe a session or two, but you guys didn't really go anywhere. You didn't really do anything. This is the hobgoblin. Uh, Oh, the Hobgoblin Land. Yeah. Ugh, that's still a bummer. <laughs> uh, yeah, you guys kind of fucked that up. Um, but, yeah. You know, we were trying to wean a wool. What do you fucking want from us? <laughs> yeah, and I think that that was really the way that you guys kind of made decisions that felt real and practical in a war situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it kind of made it feel a little a little more grounded. and uh, Right. Because like the, you for, guys, you guys made some choices. Oh yeah, fuck. I, I, Lester stood. I think Lester still stands behind everything he did. He ad- openly admits not all of it was good. Yeah, but he was always trying to be good. <laughs> when it comes to Aosha, what what is there left in the world as a player that you want to explore? Like well, obviously we're in a new campaign and you have a lot of like character stuff, but kind of past mm-hmm. that, what in the world? Is, is is left to be kind of explored for you. I don't know. I always approach it with the mindset of my whatever character I'm playing, and Sadias is a very single-minded, boots-on-the-ground kind of guy. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if he's really thinking in the in the grand scheme of things. Me as a person, I think something that you you touched on in our last campaign, but never really uh, came, it didn't come back up too often, was the fact that there is a primordial god presence like on the on this plane of existence that people are just ignoring um mm-hmm. <laughs> that that could be interesting um because there's there's so much water uh between the continents that i think there's a lot of there's a lot of room for like sea adventures and weird yeah. islands and like yeah there's a, there's a lot to, there's a lot of room to do stuff 
there's definitely a lot of exploration pirates oh pirates are fun when you guys when you guys were just like fuck it we're gonna be pirates for a little bit i was like yes yes <laughs> fuck yes that's right because it was it was when it was like either right before or right immediately after we joined the drow forces it was it was right after um because you the guys was pirate costumes yeah you guys got like rad ass fucking pirate uniforms uh yeah you it was right after because you guys were sailing to zendrix that's right yeah that was <laughs> that was awesome <laughs> yeah it was really fun there there are like a uh like i said before there's a there's a lot that you guys have left to uh, uncover and it. it's it's fun that you mentioned the kind of primordial elder things mm-hmm. so they i mean they definitely have a, have a presence that is that is yeah there are a lot of like uh kind of lesser idol type type beings that uh may have more significance in this campaign due to the uh instability of the weave and and everybody kind of looking to outward sources for help magic structure is definitely something i'm interested in like as as a person my character doesn't give a fuck i Um, I shoot guns that's it so dice don't have any need for a magical nonsense when a good old firearm at your side will get the job done just right that's what i'm saying yeah i'm I'm interested to see like because obviously wizards wizards are screwed basically uh it uh, are it it really depends because like as we saw because we just finished session two Mm. there are some like there are some characters that that seem to be more adversely affected than others right and then I'm I'm just interested to see like other other sources of spellcasting are not necessarily tied to the weaves. So like you have sorcerers where it's inborn, you have warlocks where the gods aren't gone, so the gods can still grant warlock magic. I would imagine the gods are gone. All of them. There's a little tidbit: the divine gate is closed. Oh shit! There was no <laughs> there was no access to the material plane to the divine realms. Did we do that, or did they do that? Or is that a spoiler? <laughs> Killing the Weave did that. No. Oh. So the Warlocks are screwed. No, I uh, know because, I mean, devils still exist on the material plane. Well, that's true. Demons can still um, come to the material plane from the, the River Styx. The Feywild's not cut off, so I'm sure there's an influx of, like, Archfey patrons. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there there's a, there is a lot of potential for, for like, warlocks and shit like that yeah it's 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 gonna be fun (laughs) but uh yeah i think i think that unless you have any other questions no i think that's good thanks for jumping in and hanging out with this uh q a that nobody asked for (laughs) (laughs) uh it was a lot of fun um we're gonna be back with the part one of the part three of the fucking uh the stat block episodes um not next week but the week after yeah that's pretty much it our socials are going to be linked in the description of this episode so if you feel so inclined please go follow and keep up to date for when we post leave a review it really helps out the show and 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 lets us know if you want to listen to more ramblings with me and other creative people uh i've been alec and i've been marcus we'll see you guys in the next episode of community crafting see you next time everybody